One of their clients employed Pete Udolf to design a garden for him, and so they worked with him almost as his uh, students in a way. Hello, hello, one and all, and welcome to episode 27 from Pontcosh Garden Podcast. I'm Joff Elphick, a gardener, freelance writer and garden speaker from Gloucestershire in the UK. This podcast is produced with the help of my sponsor, Genus Gardenware. Genus are based in the beautiful Cotswold countryside and their range is designed by king gardeners who understand how the right sort of clothes can make gardening more comfortable and even more enjoyable. As you all know, gardening is about kneeling and bending, stretching and walking, and being outdoors in all weathers and in all seasons. The clothes gardeners wear have to work for all activities and in all conditions. And this is what Genus Gardenware are experts at. Have a look at what they have to offer by visiting genus.gs. My guest today is Barbara Siegel. Barbara is a member of the Garden Media Guild, a fellow of the Chartered Institute of Horticulture and studied in South Africa before going on to work for a newspaper in Durban and then moving to London. For several years, she wrote a column for the Times newspaper. She is Assistant County Organiser for the National Garden Scheme in Suffolk and also a member of the Worshipful Company of Gardeners. They were first mentioned in City Corporation records in 1345 and it's a survivor from the medieval craft guilds which exercised control over the practice of their particular crafts and ensured a proper training through the system of apprenticeship. I'm speaking to Barbara about her new book, Secret Gardens of the Southeast, and started by asking her where this book fitted in with her impressive list of publications. It's probably my 12th or 13th book. I haven't counted recently, but that's probably where it is. And it's the second one that I've done in um, a series that Francis Lincoln publishes, which has the word secret in its title. And I'm sure you will know the one that's the Secret Gardens of the Cotswolds. Victoria Summerley, wasn't it? Right. Yes, yeah. yep, certainly do. Victoria did that one and she also did one on London gardens. And some, I think she did one on secret gardeners rather than secret gardens. Yes. Um, or celebrity gardeners. I'm not sure quite what the title was. Um, Abigail um, has done one on Somerset. And I think there have been a couple on islands um, around Britain, which was were done earlier. And I've the first one I did was called Secret Gardens of East Anglia. So that was really my home territory. Yes. Um, and that was published in 2017. Yes. Well, I was just going to say, I, I, I knew of you way before you'd ever heard of me because, <laughs> um, because you were a guest on... on Peter Donegan's podcast. Um, I think now I seem to remember you were actually in Ireland in his house. You went to, I don't know whether you went to visit him, but you were certainly in Ireland at the time. It sounds like you had an amazing time with Peter over there. I did. It was a Chartered Institute of Horticulture annual general meeting, and it was held in Dublin. And Peter came to it and he very kindly invited me over to his house and we had a wonderful session. He's a great raconteur. And uh, another horticulturist whom you may know called Rocky Coles was there. And uh, we had, I think we had a couple of pints of Guinness in a local pub, uh, as you have to. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, yeah, it was interesting because it was the weekend of one of those 
sort of hurricanes, mini tornadoes. And so actually the plane couldn't take off on the day that it was supposed to. So I had an extra day. Oh, <laughs> yes, very nice. Yes, yeah. so that, as you say, that was 2017, and I remember listening to that uh, that podcast well. Um, I mean, back in those days, of course, there weren't so many podcasts to choose from. It was Peter, no. Peter. I think Jane and Alice Fowler had one out. So grow, repeat, and one or two others. I think Gardens Illustrated had one as well at that time. But yes, there was very few to choose from. I think there's there's over 40 now. I think you can choose from. <laughs> really? Yes. <laughs> Is there a, a kind of channel where you can? <laughs> find them all together well I, well funnily enough i have actually put a list together on my website so yes so it's well, almost like you set that question up for me to advertise it yes i i i think i'm a couple behind because there's a few more that have come out but yes uh, they're all on my website there um oh well have a look. yeah so um i'm just instantly that of course when you spoke to peter that was about your east anglia book wasn't it um yes it was yeah now um Similar format to the late to uh, the latest book, Gardens of the Southeast. But your photographer then was a good friend of yours, Marcus Harper, wasn't it? That's right. Yes, Marcus had been photographing gardens in East Anglia. You know, he lived in the area as well, and he'd been photographing for for years. So we had a bank of beautiful gardens and pictures, really, to choose from, um, and we put the idea to publishers and. We, you know, didn't meet with huge success initially, but then we found Francis Lincoln and they were willing to take it on, but they wanted to add the word secret into it. Um, I think we had thought, I think our working title was Glorious Gardens of East Anglia, which is a much more inclusive um, sort of title, I think. But they had this idea for a series. And so, you know, we had we fitted in with it because we wanted to be public. Yes, obviously. Um, but of course, that that very title, Secret Gardens, meant you couldn't include gardens in that instance, like Beth Chateau's, could you? No, which is why um, we are, I asked Beth if she would be kind enough to write the foreword, because then I knew we could include photographs of her and the garden. Um, but you're right, it was, you know, you have to sort of make a decision about how well known a garden is. And you could similarly with the Southeast one, I couldn't countenance having Great Dixter as a secret garden. But you got around that, didn't you? We did. (laughs) Fergus to write the foreword. Yes. So that was the way around that. I mean, some of the gardens are well known to some people, but they're not going to be well known to everybody. And so that's, you know, my defense of the word secret. Yeah, yes. Now, obviously, um, Marcus isn't with us anymore. Um, so you no. weren't sorry. So you weren't able to uh, use his photographs. But uh, you very luckily came across or, you know, Clive Borsnell. How did you find Clive? Well, the public, you know, the publishers are the people who commissioned the photographer. Um, so it was their choice. Uh, but I've known Clive for many, many years. Uh, bef- in fact, probably before the formation of the Garden Media Guild, or as it was earlier, the Garden Writers Guild, um, because he was always a wonderful presence at garden shows and at Chelsea. Um, and for many years, the photographers always used to have a a sort of Chelsea photograph where they would all get together at some point and get as many of them into the photograph as possible. 
And, uh, yeah, so Clive, Clive's been around for a long time. And, um, yeah, it was lovely to be able, first time I've worked with him. So it was, you know, lovely to have that um, opportunity. Beth Chateau, as you say, wrote the introduction to the book, uh, the, the, the previous Secret Gardens book. Um, but you managed to pin pin down Fergus Garrett, one of the busiest men in horticulture. How did you do that? Have you been constantly supplying Dixter with cream cakes for the last five years? And <laughs> no, Fergus is a very generous person. And I've, I've also known him for a long time. And uh, I wrote to him and asked him and said, you know, Beth had written the the first one and that we would like it if he could. And he very kindly said he would, which is lovely. Yes. He was a student of Beth's, wasn't he, originally? I think he was. Um, you know, I never quite know whether that would be the right word, mm. student. But, you know, he was, um, he certainly, I'm sure she was what, what he would have called a mentor. Yes. But he... Um, Christopher Lloyd, for whom he worked, was a very good close friend of Beth's. And so that connection was very strong, too. Now, there's 20 gardens, 20 gardens in this book. Well, I see you squeezed 22 in your previous book, didn't you? <laughs> we did. We squeezed in two more. And we tried for this book to do it. But um, I think we probably would have been able to um, if we'd been, you know, more persistent. But... I think 20 is a good round number, um, but, you know, Kent, Surrey and Sussex could each have had a book of their own. So, you know, that's uh, that was a hard thing, really, because, you know, you have to make some choices. Yes, you must do. I mean, editing it down to 20 gardens must be quite a job. But what, what I absolutely loved, I mean, not only did you have to edit it down to 20 gardens, um, now, I'm not saying there's any hierarchy in the book in terms of which goes first and so on. But what I loved was the, the first garden you put in there is a little garden behind a red brick end of terrace, isn't it? That's right. Well, and that goes in because um, in sort of alphabetical order, numerals precede, um, uh, you, you know, get, have precedence. So and the fact it was, I think, Albert, Albert Street or Albert Road. Yes. Um, so it it also then preceded Arundel Castle, which a lot of people will say, how could you have included that? That's so well known. But in fact, um, its garden isn't so well known. The castle is. But the fact that it has the most astonishing garden is, um, is just, you know, is secret in a way. Well, I think it worked out very well because you do have this little garden behind the red brick terrace and then Arundel Castle is the following, the following garden that's mentioned such a brilliant contrast immediately within the first two chapters. It works really well. I mean, let's just point out Arundel Castle. I mean, there's 40 acres there as comparison to, um, uh, let's, get, let's give it its proper name. What was it called? Oh, was it Albert Road? Um, oh, 87 Albert Street, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's measured in, in square metres. We've got 40, 40 acres at Arundel um, and there's... there's um, Rills, fountains, um, garden theatricals, I think they're called, and stumperies. So a yeah, real yeah. brilliant contrast there. We can't talk about all the gardens, but one that I have to mention that really catches my eye is Gravetime Manor, um, you know, home of William Robinson, um, so in some ways a, a pioneer of naturalistic planting almost over 100 years ago, I think, wasn't it, when, when William Robertson, when he lived there? It is, of course, now a hotel. Um, but tell us a little bit about that garden. I mean, I've never been there. It's one on my bucket list. It, it sounds fascinating. 
It is fascinating. And Tom Coward, who's the head gardener, is absolutely wonderful. He is an, um, had been at Dixter. And the garden, the, once after Robinson died, um, the garden went to someone else who was a hotelier, um, but the garden wasn't treated in quite with quite the same respect, I don't think. It, it certainly was kept um, in the spirit of it, but the, it was bought by um, a lovely couple and they employed Tom and he has really brought it back um, to its sort of former glory. And it's it's got the most wonderful kitchen garden, a lot of... Um, Things in growing in the kitchen garden are on the menu of the hotel. And in a sense, it is a secret garden because you can go there for afternoon tea and you can book a tour of the garden if you're there for afternoon tea. And if you stay at the hotel, which is quite expensive, but is a wonderful experience, especially, I think, if you were celebrating something major in your life. Um, and then you have the opportunity to go into the garden at any time while you're staying there. In springtime, it, when I visited, it was just full of the woods approaching it were just full of bluebells. And there were um, there had been daffodils, um, narcissus sort of in drifts. Um, and Tom, as I say, just keeps it going as you would expect in the spirit. And it's really lovely. Yes. So I had booked to go there for afternoon tea this year with a group of friends. And uh, we had booked for that very, very hot week when it was, you know, decided that really nobody should be on the road. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and I also got COVID that week, oh. so I, I couldn't go. Oh. Um, and, and the friends decided to cancel it. So we've got it in the diary for next year. Ah, right. Yes. Yeah. I think I'm attracted to, uh, to gardens like that, partly in this instance, particularly because of William Robinson, but also because I... I one of my the gardens I started to work at was uh, Barnsley House, the former home of mm -hmm. Rosemary Veery. So I'm, I sort of I'm sympathetic to people who have to work under those conditions where it was once a, a, a well-known gardener's garden, and then it's taken mm. over. I think what was in my favour was that Richard Gatenby, the head gardener, stayed on. He'd been with Rosemary for sort of five or six years already, and so right. he he knew knew how to keep the garden going. Um, sympathetically you know so so yeah so that's what what interests me in, in that particular instance um but let, let's move on um to uh actually a garden that's probably similar size to barnsley house denman's and that was that was a garden transformed by joyce robinson and john brooks um and latterly i think by um was it gwendolyn van passion um tell us a little bit more about about denman's well, it was Joyce Robinson's garden originally, and you know it was a it was a farm place and a farm um, around a farmhouse. And Joyce went I, I can't remember the exact year, but she went to Delos, and she sort of had you know one of those amazing uh, holidays there, and she came back and thought, I must somehow transform this garden into a gravel garden, a sort of dry riverbed. So that was what she did. And that was really, you know, well before Beth Chateau and well before um, dry gardens had been on the horizon. And that is still there, um, these amazing sort of boulders in a river formation that go from one end of the garden right down to a, a pond. And 
then John Brooks came, met her, came um, to see the garden, and I think he just fell in love with it as well. And um, he was a sort of well-known garden designer in London and abroad, and he asked her if he could set up his design school there. And they had a period where they were both together at the garden, um, and he ran his school from there. And um, I think glorious disarray was a phrase that um, he used about um, Mrs. Robinson's style of gardening. And uh, and it, that's still visible. But, you know, he, he then became the, the gardening hand after she died. Um, and again, the garden fell into some disrepair during his life for various reasons. And Gwendolyn was one of his students, an American woman, and she was one of his students. And she really rode to the rescue. And um, in his lifetime, he saw it being um, brought back. And now it's really quite a wonderful garden, well worth visiting. Munstead Wood. Now that, a lot of people would have heard of it. Of course, the the, the home of um, Gertrude Jekyll. Um, yes. Now, I don't know, it, it, that sounds to me like a lot of people might have heard of it, but is that a particularly secret garden? Is it only open certain times of the year or, or is it constantly open? Um, it's one of those ones where you need to go on its website and check because the head gardener there, um, who's called Annabelle Watts, runs amazing garden tours of it. So it has to fit in, obviously, with her work schedule. Um, it's in a bit of transition perhaps at the moment um, because it's up for sale um, for many millions. And um, I've looked behind the sofa. I can't afford it. Yes. It's (laughs) about about five and a quarter, I think, isn't it? Yes. (laughs) Yes. Um, But it's one of those gardens that really needs to be preserved. I think it's a sort of um, William Robinson entity in a way you know that was where she experimented with her gardening and had these wonderful herbaceous borders that had all the color schemes and different plantings but on her death her nephew divided it up into four or five lots and he kept one for himself and sold the rest off and um the one that's sort of more or less adjacent to Munstead Wood was bought by a very interesting gardener. And so currently Annabelle sort of takes you to that garden gate and then Gail takes over and takes you around her part. And her part of the Jekyll sort of legacy is the part where Jekyll had her her workshops, I suppose, where she did floristry and um, also where she planted, I suppose, to experiment and see what plants would do. So it's a lovely dual thing, and I hope that'll continue. Yes, is uh, in the book. There's a, a garden called the Quadrangle. Is that is that part of that's that? Gale. Yes, yes, that's Gale's garden. Uh, yeah. I see. Now, yeah. as a, as an absolute contrast to sort of uh, these board these uh, Gertrude Jekyll borders, um, there's the garden called the Sussex Prairie Garden. Very modern planting. Mm. That 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 sounds very interesting. The pictures of it are superb. Um, tell us about that. Well, that's owned by Paul and Pauline McBride. And it's actually on land that um, is part of Pauline's um, family's farm. But Pauline and 
Paul gardened in Luxembourg and like you, they gardened for other people. Um, and they, one of their clients employed Pete Udolf to design a garden for him. And so they worked with him almost as his uh, students in a way um, and really learned his way of planting. And then when they came back to live in the UK, they um, they just ferried plants across and transformed this really flat piece of land. Um, that there, there was a sort of mounded area in it. And also they've now adapted one of the farm buildings so that you can climb up and look over it. And they open, I think, um, at the, the height of summer. I'm not sure exactly when their opening time is, but round about now in September, October, they close. And it's just the most wonderful collection of perennials sort of grouped together en masse. And you can walk through the borders and um, there is grass in between. There are lots of, um, she, they both love art. So they often have quite a lot of art installations. So it's a great place to visit. What I didn't see, which I would have loved to have seen, was that in sort of late winter, they actually burn off the prairie um, in a controlled burning. And that just must be amazing. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, rem I remember when they used to burn off stubble back in the 70s and, and uh, sort of cycling out of my push bike out into the countryside. And it was almost like a, a, an alien landscape. It was in, in the dark. It was yeah. absolutely amazing seeing the embers glowing. Yes. So um, be nice to see that. But I, I think that's pretty much a don't do this at home. Yes. Yes, I think so. Definitely. Now, you mentioned they have art installations and sculpture there, etc. Um, and I think things like that can often transform a garden. So anybody that's uh, a fan of uh, sculpture might well like to uh, visit the Hannah Pesher Sculpture Garden, another one in your book. Yes. What was that like when you saw that? Oh, it's stunning. Um, I think I'd visited it many years ago before it really was, um, I suppose, as well, it's, it's very naturalistic planting um, using the natural forest, I suppose, and wo woodland that's there and with big sculptural foliage. Uh, but I don't know that there was as much sculpture there when I first visited, but it's amazing because you just walk through it and you come across these beautifully placed big pieces and some are small, but um, it's just who, you know, the people who place them, um, they've just got a perfect eye for what will go with particular foliage and, the kind of what you step into so it's an absolute joy to walk in it well, I think they do and it was lovely because um, I'm not sure if you might have been going to mention this but Clive took photographs of um, the garden owners and the gardeners not just the garden owners and um, for that particular garden um, they are around a very big sculpture of a horse with one of them actually riding the horse, which is lovely. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. Barbara, as I said earlier, we, we can't talk about every garden in the book, uh, unfortunately, um, but uh, obviously people can get hold of your book. It's out now. It's been out for a week or two already. It came out in October 2022 for people listening in the future. So, so thank you very much for your time. Um, 
Do we have another book to look forward to? I'm sure we do, but do you know what it is? Or can you say? <laughs> I don't know what it is. <laughs> All right, but I bet there's another one there. <laughs> it would be nice, but I'm, at the moment I think I'm, ha- I'm in recovery. <laughs> yes, yeah, I bet you are, yes. <laughs> well, thank you for your time. Good luck with the book. I hope sales go well. Christmas is coming up. It's perfect time to launch a book, so uh, good luck with everything. Thank you very much, Joff. It's been lovely talking to you. Thank you, Barbara. The research involved in the book must have been incredibly hard work, but also it must have been a joy to discover all those hidden gems. If you want to hear more from Barbara, you can follow her on Instagram as at Barbara Siegel, where you'll find links to her books and her Substack blog account. I can be found at joffelfic.co.uk, as well as on Instagram. Don't forget, I travel most weeks to garden clubs to give my intriguingly named talk Crayfish on the Lawn. And please, if you haven't yet had a look, pop over to genus.gs and have a look at how you can transform your gardening experience by wearing clothes specifically designed by gardeners for gardeners. Thank you for listening. May your secateurs be well honed, your own secret garden an oasis of calm and enjoyment, and your bookshelf heaving under the weight of rather too many books on horticulture. I'll see you next time.